Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your following. It honors me that you would take time out of your day to listen to each one of these weekly episodes. And if this is your first time, I want to welcome you. Thank you. I hope that uh, you find this podcast to be edifying to your soul, to your mind, and your body. If this podcast has added value to your life, would you take a few minutes after this episode to rate the podcast and to leave a positive comment? I love reading your feedback. I love going back every time. Uh, As I've mentioned before, it is a source of encouragement and it keeps me moving in the same direction, pressing on, creating more content to add value to your life. Thank you so much for your comments. Can I share one with you today? Uh, This is from Jose Cadena. He says, Milton's podcast and coaching content has added value to all the relationships in my life. It is a blessing. His content is now in a podcast. Listen to Recalibrate. You won't be disappointed. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jose. God bless you, my friend. We are almost there. Don't complain more, please. Mm. Let's try this. What is it? Uh, This is a swing. No, no, no. Or outside, baby. Don't be too poor. No, no, no. It's for two persons, so I won't be able to do it. Sorry. You have to do it with me. I'm not doing it. Do it? No. I can't believe it, team. No, I don't do heights. Are you joking with me? Everything else, I'm not doing this. Do it. No. Sorry. Why are you like that? Because it scares me. Why are you acting like that? You don't share new things with me. I mean, I'm trying to make you happy, to show you something beautiful, and you don't enjoy it. I don't don't enjoy that type of thing. I don't like heights, and she knows that. So the fact that she even asked me, to me, it was disrespectful. And I I don't like that. I I don't like to be treated like that. So it will be dangerous for me if I do it alone. Don't you care? I'm not doing it. You don't care? That is dangerous for me if I do it alone. Then don't do it. You don't have to do it. No, I want to do it. I want a lot of things. Are you too coward? I'm too coward. For that? I am. Maybe you're not the right for me. Maybe. You're too put everything. Too coward to live, too coward to walk, too coward to, to feel, to see, to enjoy, too coward for everything. Mm, it sucks. Do you think I need this? You're scared of life, of everything. Can you look at me for no. a second? Are you finished? Then go. What are you doing here? Waiting on go. you to do Go, go, you can go. Now, that was an interesting (laughs) interaction, to say the least. That was taken from a reality show. The young lady is trying to convince her future husband to get on a swing that is somewhat like a bungee, uh, some kind of a bungee cord that's pending from a mountaintop. And of course, as you heard, he's afraid of heights. So she tries to convince him using different tactics. But of course, at the end, she fails. And the only thing she manages to do is to create a divisive wedge between the two, a barrier that simply separates them and causes their relationship 
to go south. As I watched the interaction between the two, I was reminded of Dr. John Gottman's work. He is a professor at uh, Washington University and has been conducting uh, relational research for over 20 years now. Now, he has what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which he says are indicators that a relationship is going south, that a relationship is soon to break. The four horsemen are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Although all four of these horsemen are very destructive attributes within a marriage relationship, the one that stands out the most, the one that is indicative that a relationship is soon to go into what Gottman calls the death spiral, which ends up in divorce, is contempt. A contemptuous attitude on a consistent basis within a relationship will surely lead that relationship down a destructive road with no return. So some of you probably asking what exactly is contempt? What does it look like? Or or what's the what's the goal? What's the target? Well, let me tell you, the target of contempt is basically to make other people feel despised and worthless. It's it's treating others with disrespect. It's mocking them with sarcasm. That's contempt. It's hostile humor. It's name-calling or mimicking. Uh, body language like you know eye-rolling and, and sneering, those are all forms of contempt, and they are highly destructive in any relationship. So as you listen to the audio that I shared at the beginning of this episode, you probably noticed that there, there was a lot of contempt within that conversation going from one end to the other. I mean, the young lady, she <laughs> called him a coward, said, you're afraid, you're no good, maybe you're the wrong person, maybe I shouldn't be with you. I watched the video. I mean, her body language was very offensive. Uh, There was a lot of eye-rolling and mimicking and mocking. Have you ever been in a relationship like this? Like, have you ever been in a relationship in which the other individual tries to control you or manipulate your emotions by using contemptuous words, contemptuous actions, belittling you with a barrage of ugly, hateful, destructive words? If you have been exposed to this, I pray that you've already healed. And if you haven't, I pray that you do. Every time I have someone in a coaching session or a counseling session who is suffering from self-worth because they have been put down, they've been destroyed, their their morale is so low because someone in their life, and sometimes it's their own parents in the past growing up as children, uh, it's their own parent who put them down with contemptuous attitudes, contemptuous words, and told them that they would never amount to anything. Or it could have been someone else, maybe a relationship or a spouse that they had to let go of. And what I remind them is of who they are, especially if they are believers in Christ. I have to tell them, remember who you are. Remember God's promises. He has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. He says his plans for you are to prosper you, not to harm you. That he goes before you as a shepherd, that he sustains you in the palm of his hand, that that you are the apple of his eye, his prized possession, his masterpiece, that he delights in you and that he loves you with an everlasting type of love. 
As you go through the healing process, if that's the case, because you have been in a contemptuous relationship, that you've been put down left and right, or maybe that you have grown up, as I mentioned previously, you you grew up in a home where where you were morally destroyed and your heart was torn into shreds. And, and so now you're going through the healing process and it's important to know how much God loves you and it's important to know his promises. But let me tell you, it's equally important to understand how to identify someone who could potentially come into your life once again to manipulate you with words that are destructive. And this episode, the whole purpose of this episode is to define and to uh, help you identify those manipulators in your life that could potentially destroy you. Without proper knowledge, people will go back to the same destructive relationships that messed up their lives originally that they're still trying to heal from. The Bible even says my people perish due to lack of knowledge. We've been told over and over that ignorance is bliss and ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is poverty and eventually death. So if you're not careful, you'll end up like Pavlov's dog. You'll end up with a preconditioned mind that has a tendency to go back to the same thing every time the bell is rung. You keep going back again, back again, and back again and creating the exact same outcome. So let me just briefly define psychological manipulation. It is the exercise of undue influence through mental distortion and emotional exploitation with the intention to seize power, control benefits, and privileges, of course, at the victim's expense. Most manipulators share four commonalities. Number one is that they are experts at detecting other people's weaknesses. Number two is that once they find out what the weakness is, they use it against that individual. Number three is that they use their evil schemes to convince the other individual to give something up in order to serve their own self-centered interests. And number four, in work, social, and family situations, once a manipulator succeeds in taking advantage of the other individual, he or she will likely repeat the violation until you put a stop to the exploitation if you ever put a stop to it. I've said this before. I've, I've mentioned in my other podcasts, especially the one that has to do with boundaries. It's called Guard Your Heart. If you haven't uh, listened to the three episodes, I highly encourage you to do so. But I've always said that one of the most powerful words in the English language is no. Simply being able to stand up and firmly say No. Not giving in to the words and the manipulation tactics. Not giving in to any of that. And I teach my clients to say things like, when when someone comes against them with hateful words, and especially if it's someone as closely related like the spouse, when they come against them with a barrage of ugly, hateful, destructive words, I teach them to say to the other person, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're such an idiot. You're this, you're that. I'm sorry you feel that way. In other words, I'm not taking responsibility. I'm not accepting what you're saying about me. I am saying that this is completely concocted in your own mind. I will not receive any of this. I will not become a vessel of your hate. You have to be intentional about rejecting hateful, manipulative words. Otherwise, if you don't filter those things out, the repetition of those things without the rejection of them will create within you a preconceived 
idea. It will create within you a mental conditioning that sooner or later you will believe and then you will live your life based on those words. You see, and children don't have this ability to filter out They don't have the ability to distinguish between the two. And so they accept everything. It goes straight into their subconscious mind. And as they grow older, because those words are repeated, and oftentimes they're repeated by the people closest to them, uh, parents, uh, siblings, aunts, uncles, teachers, the repetition of these words will create within them a mindset that they will live out as they grow older. And when they are older, then they have to they have to go to counseling. They have to go to therapy in order to reach into the subconscious mind and pull those things out and deal with them. Have you ever experienced a parent using manipulative tactics to control the child's behavior? You see, emotional manipulation by parents can lead to devastating consequences for children leading to things like low self-esteem, anger, resentment, and even shame. And you know what? Ironically, shame and guilt are primary tactics of emotionally manipulative parents. If you're a parent and you're listening right now, you're probably thinking, hmm, I wonder if I'm one of those crazy manipulative parents. Well, you know what? You could be or You could be a persuasive parent. Now, a manipulative parent usually uses manipulative tactics to get their own way, to benefit themselves, whereas a persuasive parent will try to use uh, similar tactics, however, to convince a child to do something for uh, their best interest. Manipulative parents attempt to establish psychological control over their children by diminishing their self-esteem. These are known as personal attacks. They will say things like, you don't appreciate me. You're so ungrateful. You see, our issues, they're all your fault. It's your fault that your sister's the way she is or that your father's always upset. You don't understand how much I sacrifice for you. What the parent is doing is is using these feelings in an attempt to regain psychological control over the child. Other parents will use invalidation of feelings. So this is when a parent finishes their child's sentences. They interrupt them. They act like they know what their child is thinking or feeling, and they try to change how they feel about things. This leads to child exasperation. The Bible says, parents, don't exasperate your children. What that does is it leads to rebellion at the end of the day. I have seen this dynamic within the counseling session when dealing with a husband and a wife. One of the two will have the tendency to try and complete the other person's sentence by interrupting them halfway through their idea, completing it, fabricating their own idea, trying to convince the individual that their feelings are wrong and that this is how they should be feeling. Invalidation of someone else's feelings is a form of manipulation. Another popular technique used by manipulative parents is love withdrawal. Now, research on attachment suggests that infants form a deep emotional bond with their parents. For the manipulative parent, however, the attached loving relationship can be leveraged as psychological control. Parents who withdraw love will avoid looking at their child 
who has disappointed them and will stop talking to their child until they are appeased. What this conveys to the child is love is conditional. It is based on behavior. You don't always deserve to be loved. Now, what does the scripture teach us? That God loves us unconditionally. Yet while we were still sinners, he loved us and sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. He loves us simply because we are his children. Do you want to develop a child who seeks to be a people pleaser? Well, withhold love then. Use love as leverage to control them psychologically, and they will develop a pathological desire to please people. And they will, of course, have a skewed perception of what love should be like. This love withdrawal manipulative technique is evident also in marriage relationships. We see it oftentimes in counseling sessions where one of the two will withhold love from the other because they don't get their way. They want something from the other one and they use love as a leverage tool. And so therefore they withhold uh, actual uh, having intimacy with their spouse because they don't get their way. So if you're not going to give me what I want, I'm not going to give you what you want. And so they use that as leverage. Everyone has come into contact with a manipulator at one point in time in their life. See, some have been abused for years by one without even knowing it. Spotting a manipulator is hard because they work inconspicuously at stealth frequencies. It's a crime that leaves no fingerprints. Manipulators are very deceptive. They, they sometimes pose as charming and nice individuals. They use denial as a mechanism. They're liars. Sometimes they're generous with favors and with gifts. They use excessive compliments and excessive flattery. Uh, they have really good first impressions. They pretend to be a victim at times. They use the silent treatment. They appear to be selfless. They send you on a guilt trip many times. They use shaming, intimidation, gaslighting, rationalization, and an unsettling stare. Let me stop there for just a moment, rewind a little bit, and go back to that term that I just mentioned, gaslighting. Gaslighting is not a very common term. It's, it's very unlikely that most people will know what that means. Actually, the term gaslighting was originated in 1938 by a British playwright, uh, which later turned into a movie that became popular in 1944. It was uh, a movie that was starring Ingrid uh, Bergman and Charles Boyer. You see, in this film, the husband, Gregory, he manipulates his trusting wife, Paula, into believing that she can no longer trust her own perceptions of reality. In one of the scenes, Gregory causes the gas lights in the house to flicker by turning them on in the attic of the house. Yet when Paula asks why the gas lights are flickering, he insists that it's not really happening and that it's all in her mind, all in her head, causing her to doubt her self-perception, hence the term gaslighting was born. Gaslighting in interpersonal relationships often develops or builds on an existing power dynamic. While it's most common in romantic settings, gaslighting can help in any kind of relationship where one person is so important to the other that they don't want to take the chance of upsetting or losing them, such as a boss, a friend, a sibling, or even a parent. Gaslighting happens in relationships where there is an unequal power dynamic and the target has given the gaslighter power and often their respect.
Gaslighting debilitates, it incarcerates the person in their own state of mind, it destroys their morale, their self-esteem, and ultimately shreds their spirits. So the question is, how do you recognize if gaslighting is happening to you? Well, do you ask yourself, am I too sensitive many times per day? Or do you often feel confused and even crazy in the relationship? Are you always apologizing? Do you have issues understanding why you aren't happier? Do you frequently make excuses for your partner's behavior? Do you know that something is wrong, but you just don't want to admit to it? Do you start lying just trying to avoid put-downs and reality twists? Do you have trouble making simple decisions? And do you wonder if you are good enough? Well, if you've answered yes to at least three of these, you're probably in a relationship where gaslighting is being used against you. So now let me turn the table. What does a gas lighter sound like? Well, this is what he sounds like. You're so sensitive. You know that's just because you're so insecure. Stop acting crazy or you sound crazy. You know that, don't you? You're just so paranoid. You're bipolar and you're probably schizo. You just love trying to throw me off track. I was just joking. You're making that up. It's no big deal. You're imagining things. You're overreacting. You're always so dramatic. Don't get so worked up. That never happened, by the way. You know you can't remember things clearly. There's no pattern. You're seeing a pattern that's not even there. You're hysterical. You're nuts. There you go again. You're so ungrateful. Nobody believes you. Why should I? This is the language of a gaslighter, and he or she knows and understands completely that they're using these words and statements as psychological mechanisms to control and to manipulate your behavior. Now, let me say this. Gaslighters are oftentimes, 90% of the time, narcissists. Narcissists. And narcissists are individuals that have a very high self-esteem, but very low self-worth. Now, the question is, is there a cure for a narcissistic pathological individual? The answer is no, there's not. They are narcissists their whole lives. They die narcissists. Is there some kind of therapy for them? There is therapy to help them elevate their self-worth. However, it is unlikely to cure the individual completely. So if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, you are probably being submitted to gaslighting. I want you to be completely and fully aware of this. If you're married to one, you need to seek help for him. If you are in a relationship with one and there is no formality, the best thing is to walk the other way and leave that individual. Now, as a believer that I am in Christ... And I know that God is a healer and God is a miracle worker. You you ask me, is God able? Of course God is able. God is able to bring transformation to anyone's life. But just as you know, all of the people in the Bible that went seeking healing from the Lord, from Jesus, they went to seek their healing. They called upon the Lord. They desired, they had an intrinsic desire to change. They sought out transformation and healing. But narcissists, they don't see a need for help. 
because they are too full of themselves. So if you are in a relationship with someone like this, if you're in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist or someone who is gaslighting you, do yourself a favor. Love yourself. Love yourself enough to go and find professional help. Talk to somebody. Don't succumb to the craziness that can go on in the mind of an individual like this, allowing them to spew all of their hate upon you, controlling your life to where you are completely stripped from your own will. Seek help. If you are currently in a manipulative relationship, you're probably drained, exhausted. You've had enough. You feel like you're in a hole, stuck, not able to get out. You see no light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. But let me tell you, there is hope for you. There is hope. Step number one for any transformation, step number one for any shift in your life is going to require self-awareness. You must become aware of not only yourself and how you are responding to this type of behavior, but you have to become aware of the other individual and become quite the observer. Listen, observe, and develop within you. You have to develop boundaries, a filter through which you filter out the words that are spoken over your life. You were told as a child, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. That is farthest from the truth. That is one of the biggest lies we were ever taught that conditioned our subconscious mind to believe that words don't have power. That is a lie. I want you to know that the Bible says that there's power in our tongue, power to bring life, power to bring death, to edify or to destroy. The Bible goes on to say that words come from the abundance of our hearts. In other words, whatever comes out of our mouth has been stored in our spirits, in our hearts, and it got there, or those words got there through our minds. And how do they get to our minds? Through our ears and our eyes. And so think about this for a moment. I once heard someone say that hurt people hurt other people. Narcissists are extremely hurt people that grew up in a dysfunctional environment. And so their hurt is simply projected onto other people. And so if you are in this relationship, become self-aware that you are in this type of environment, in this atmosphere, and that you must do something about it, that you need to safeguard yourself. Okay, so let me close with this. I said this earlier. The most powerful word in the English language is no. Being able to say no diplomatically, especially with a narcissist, because they can uh, be very explosive in their reactions. So learning how to say no in a diplomatic way is going to be important. Now, setting your own boundaries to where you do not accept or receive the words that are spoken over your life. In order to do that, you have to contradict them with the positive. In, in other words, if you are told that you are useless, crazy, and stupid, you have to tell yourself the exact 
polar opposite. I am worthy. I am intelligent. I'm a great person. You have to do this consistently by repetition. Otherwise, by the other individual's repetition, your mind will be conditioned. Your subconscious mind will be programmed. And eventually, your whole life will revolve around that belief system. And you're probably thinking, I can't leave this relationship. I'm in this for the long haul. I did promise till death do us part. Well, let me tell you, you're probably already dead. You're dead man walking or you're dead woman walking. You're dead in your relationship. You're dead in your self-esteem. You're dead in your morale. But you are still there because you've been completely disempowered and you've lost touch with reality. If you're listening to this right now, please, 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 if you feel that you're in this type of a relationship, reach out to someone. Send me a message. I will give you some guidance. Let me know. But do not, do not hold this in and go through the motions. Please listen to this. You need to know your fundamental human rights, my friend. You have the right to be treated with respect. You have the right to express your feelings, your opinions, and your wants. You have the right to set your own priorities. You have the right to set your own boundaries. You have the right to say no without feeling guilty or without providing a justification. You have the right to get what you pay for. You have the right to have opinions different than others. You have the right to take care and protect yourself from being threatened physically, mentally, or emotionally. You have the right to create your own happy and healthy life. Listen, you are a child of the Most High God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the apple of His eye. You are His masterpiece. He delights in you. He wants to see you thriving, not surviving, thriving. Focus on yourself. And I'm not saying to focus on yourself in a selfish way. What I'm saying is that your top priority should be God above all things. You ought to love Him with all of your mind, uh, soul, strength, every part of your being. And second... You should be second. Focus on yourself. Nurture yourself. Care for yourself. Grow yourself. Love yourself. When you get to that point, when you invest in you, then you will be a blessing to the people around you. When you're riding on a plane, the flight attendant gives an instruction. She says, in the event that we lose pressure in the cabin, oxygen masks will fall from the top deck. She then goes on to say, put yours on first before trying to help other people. Put yours on first because if you don't, you will die in the process. My friend, I love you in Christ. And I want to say this, put your mask on first. God bless you guys. I will attach my social media links to the show notes. Feel free to send me a message at any point in time. I will do my best to reply right away. 
If you are suffering from any one of the things that we have mentioned in this episode, reach out. I can provide you with some guidance. Love you guys. Stay safe.